Hi and welcome to. Oh, that's very loud. Ooh, I don't know if I should start that one again. Probably not. Hi and my. <laughs> Let's start again. Sorry. Um, sorry, it's very loud. Yeah. Bonjour. Bonjour. You'll just put that one on. We may as well just start from there. I'm going to. Welcome yeah, to Making Sense of It with Emma Kenny, Peter Smith, and tonight, who have we got? Holly Matthews. We've Hi. got the beautiful Holly Matthews. Um, obviously. This is a great pleasure for us. We're not going to lie because it's I have a so little dog at my feet here. I just, I, I look a little bit strange. Like I'm being really like not involved. She in just brings one with her everywhere. It's just yeah. a <laughs> little tiny little dog, dog just like scratching my feet like legs. We don't know, we don't know, we don't know whose dog it is. <laughs> What's happening tonight is we've taken a bit of a detraction. Um, firstly, it's in the evening. You'll notice there's not lots of bright lights. Secondly, <laughs> Yes, we have wine. We have wine. One angle, three microphones. And most importantly, we've got Holly with us. So... We have just finished a clinic, yeah. done a live clinic on Facebook. We've been saying we're going to do this for ages. We've had a lovely day together. I've met her amazing children. This is literally the first time we're really sitting down, hence why they've got a glass of wine. And we are just here to do what we always do. But this time we have the addition that is this lady to my right. Yeah. Um, so, Holly, you probably haven't ever seen us doing this podcast, but we just talk yeah. a lot of rubbish. Well, that's Not brilliant. That's perfect. That's right. what I like to do most days, all yeah. every day. Always. Always. I was going to say more, just every day. Just all constant. Day. Yeah, constant. Give nonsense. us an overview. Tell everybody about you. We have quite a lot of people from overseas who watch us. Okay. Who might not know who you are no. in the UK. So please give us a repertoire from the beginning to now. Okay, so my background is that I was a TV actress when I was very young. I grew up on television. So a child actress. So I started when I was 11 on a show in the UK called Biker Grove. Which, um, iconic show. Anybody Ooh, very knows, iconic show. Anybody um, who knows Anton Deck will also be aware they were from that show. That's where yeah. they're from. So I started in that and I grew up on television. So all the awkward um, photos that everybody else can hide in their <laughs> attics, people tweet me. Um, <laughs> and I have to pretend that I'm fine about it. I'm not. Stop tweeting me those photos of me <laughs> as a kid with uh, gappy teeth and frizzy hair. I'm trying to pretend they, that time didn't happen. Um, so I grew up on television and um, growing up as an actor, I had all the awkward self-esteem issues that actors have um, just you know, magnify all the teen stuff that people have, but magnify because I was on television and having to deal with that. And so I had to work on my mental health a lot. Um, and I just, I didn't, it wasn't a thing that was talked about when, when we were growing up, it just wasn't. And so I was a, I would say I was a, a closet meditator and I was working I didn't have a clue I didn't have access to anything to do with mental health nobody told me about affirmations and gratitude and all the stuff that's very you know or mindfulness stuff we talk very freely about these days in in you know just people are just talking about it but it wasn't then and I knew I didn't feel good so I worked out ways to try and make myself feel better and actually now as an adult who's then learned about that stuff, I realize, oh, these are actually, this is actually a thing, like affirmations mm. or thinking, you know, thinking positively. There's actually things that people do, mindfulness and meditation, but I was just winging it at the time. And so for many years, I'd have people would just come to me and ask me, you know, more of a, a mentor type thing that people would come to me and how do you deal with life in this way? How do you bounce back? Because as an actor, you are constantly getting knockbacks no matter how much success you have you have more knockbacks in one month than most people have in their entire work and career and so I just learned to keep bouncing back and, and drive forward and always look you know be optimistic I do have a little tiny dog <laughs> yeah, still like little give me attention pause. come give here me attention. come here um so that that was always that was always a thing so um working on positive mindset was always a thing within the background with me but I never necessarily saw it as a, a path I would take I just thought, I want to be an actor. I was very focused on that. And then in 2014, I was married, two kids, and my husband was diagnosed with brain cancer. And for those, the three and a half years, my husband actually passed away, he died in um, July 2017. And I don't say that flippantly. I can say that, I guess, detached from it. That doesn't mean I don't have emotion or cry or all the normal things that people go through. But well, you say it factually, don't you? But I say you? it factually because that's what's happened. And I've said those words a lot. So it's not that I'm emotionless or that I didn't love my husband. It's just I've said it a lot. And it's part of my story. And actually, it's why I kind of... I brought all my work close to home. I, I stopped doing TV acting work because I wanted to be around my family and my children. And, um, and I focused on that. But what I found is actually, I really did have a, a talent or a natural ability when it came to mental health stuff. 
And I just found that I, I decided that I wanted to be forward facing. So I, I liked the, the life coaching coaching aspect of um when I had two sips of that wine and <laughs> um, the life, long day. The life day. coaching aspect so I like the forward face and I'm very much about um problem solving and not dwelling on stuff but being you know just finding solutions to things so that suited me most and um so for the last since my husband died it's kind of accelerated because there was a lot in the UK there was a lot of press around his death mm. mostly because I'm an actor but also um I vlogged about it so on YouTube I talked openly about what was happening and I did that for a few reasons I did it one because I wanted to make sense of it and I, I think I mentioned earlier to Pete that Growing up on television meant that being in front of a camera was my safe space. It was my place I felt very comfortable. And so actually for a lot of people, me vlogging in a hospice might seem absurd. Like it might seem really inappropriate or egotistical or trying to get attention. But for me, it was my way of, maybe that was my therapy. That was my way of talking it through. It also meant I never had to explain what was happening to people around and my daughters will have access to those videos as they grow up and, and maybe it'll make sense to them. And I've not watched them. I mean, there's a lot on YouTube. There's a lot actually that I kept private as well. And I have seen a couple of those, but I don't even remember any of it. Mm-hmm. So actually I know that at some point, I just felt like if I document it, at some point it will make sense to me. But because I did that, there was a lot of press. Ross's dad was a footballer as well. So there was also his brother's a footballer. So there was a certain level of, um, media interest and that meant that my platform suddenly elevated again and people watched yeah. what I was doing and went how is she okay and I doesn't mean I don't cry or feel sad or any no. of things but it was just how no. is she coping with it and yeah what I found I care you know I'm like I'm a, I care yeah. about people I genuinely Definitely. don't want to just oh we got a little cat just popping the little head in the camera and <laughs> um, that's, so, that's so cute I uh, yeah I I genuinely can't you know never leave a man behind I feel like that is in me and I don't but I'm one person and so when Ross had died and actually now looking back the it was only a few months after I built the online course called the happy me project which is a 21 day course all about very basic how do we deal with you know mental health of you know very um practical practical very practical no I don't know if we can say bullshit. bullshit. We can say bullshit. So I know bullshit, self-development. That's oh, why yeah, I drop always, any kind that's of... Oh, yeah, you can swear it. Yeah. Thank God. <laughs> okay. Oh, good, thank goodness. Because, um, yeah, I'm sweary. So, yeah. and, and there will be swearing in that, that course, no doubt. Um, but I put that together because I, when people were messaging me, the, the amount was obscene. I mean, I just can't respond to it, but I care. And when someone's saying, you know, my husband's dying or, or just I can't cope with the fact there's too much washing in my house and I can't deal with normal life stuff... It doesn't matter to me. There's no if you pain is pain. So yeah. if you feel bad, you feel bad. It's no top trumps Amen on to sadness, that. Yeah. You know, Amen. like Amen to that. Yeah. And so I just set I set up the online course a few months after his death, so I could go when people message, start with this. Yeah. Because I knew it was good. I knew it was the basics of what what I do every day to stay mentally healthy. And once I started to feel a little bit more comfortable, I, I started doing some workshops as well, which meant I got in front of people and I felt like I could people a bit more. And it's gone from there and. Since, and I've said this before, but since Ross died, I kind of went, okay, the world doesn't make sense. <laughs> like my, my world that made sense had Ross in it alive. So when he died, it made me go, then I don't understand any of it. So I'm just going to stay open to what comes next. That's really amazing mindset. And, and just to go, okay, so let's see what happens. Like surrendering. Surrendering. And actually, I think we get really frightened to do that. And, you know, for most of, certainly as an actor, it was very controlling. And, and it can be, you know, you're so forced into, I'm one thing, I'm this, I'm an actor. And I really identified with that. And actually I was rigid and inflexible in, in my thinking and I wasn't allowing myself to be anything else. So actually when Ross died, it freed me up because I, it went, you don't have a clue about the world. You've no idea. None of us do. And I let go of judgments that I had on things and people. And I just went, I'm just going to see what happened. And actually in doing that, lots of great stuff has happened. Yeah. And it's very interesting, isn't it? The, the, I guess the polarity between yeah. an awful loss and, and just because I can talk about it like this doesn't oh, mean that no. the pain wasn't no. tremendous no. and still is. But then to look at that and then go, okay, but actually look at all these amazing things yeah. that have happened, not in spite of it, because of it. Like that's the, I mean, it's not, it's, yeah. it's like... Because it, of the beauty, the brokenness is Because beautiful. of the brokenness, good things came of yeah. it. And I think it's that vulnerability. And for me, you know, I'm similar to you in that we, I will share stuff and, and it's very vulnerable stuff. Yeah. 
but what I think human? it's human. It's what connects us. What I'm not are we doing if we don't do that. Yeah. It's, it's also, it's also. Know. I mean, you know, it, it's, it's much better to be sat there saying there's some beautiful things come from the broken mm. bits yeah, instead of exactly. sitting here and saying it's just been broken, broken, just broken. broken. But you know, like no, when you know, the, I think that phrase rigid and inflexible and the good things that come from. I think that I suppose the converse of that is creative. Rigid and inflexible, the opposite is creative. So yeah. that's exactly what's come from it. Yeah, I mean, think about us, you know. We met three weeks after your marriage had ended. Mm. You were completely yeah. broken. You felt like... In your most vulnerable yeah, yeah, I mean, I was yeah. just sort of... Yeah, I mean, it's not nowhere near the scale of what no, you... No, but it just... It's broken. Yeah, it just... That was just person. sort of... Well, it was a massive ending. Yeah, it was. It you was loved sort her. of grieved. I was yeah. going to say, there is a grief. Yeah. There is a grief You weren't expecting it. You loved her. She left you. You were not prepared for it. And yeah, it to of... all intents and purposes, in that moment, there's a whole blueprint of rules, isn't there? Yeah. You know, the rule is, oh, you need time to grieve, you need to get over her, don't go in the rebound. Yeah. You broke every single one <laughs> yeah, of them. Yeah, just immediately. Yeah, every single one of them. Cuts. And actually, yeah. what know, sprung I, from yeah. that was far more beautiful than oh, what you'd had yeah, previously. It was, but is, I think yeah. there's something in that, because actually, I think we find that the real deep, rawness of humanity where we really actually connect with the people i mean you know i i said to you when me and ross met yeah we, we met when i was with somebody else in a time that was was fractured was broken was not mm. following the rules and if we follow the rules that we think we're supposed to do i we just we disconnect from what's actually real and raw. Right. and you wouldn't have had that connection no. had you been in a space of i'm playing by the rules i'm doing this you were in a space of i'm a, a broken human being yeah. so you see all of me yeah, now, isn't that more? It was real? like all like, the sort of. It's like uh, <coughs> trying to put it in a way that there's like a force field around you of rules and yeah. uh, you know a wall of barriers of these you know the, you know and the rawness and the the brokenness just removes everything. Cut through it, and then you just this like gaping hole of. Well, it's that moment, yeah, honesty, you know, isn't it? It's yeah. Just an honesty, yeah. like that. And I think it's, it's that moment, isn't it, where everything that you thought you knew you realise you don't know. So therefore, why are you applying a set of knowledge <laughs> exactly. that you've just figured out doesn't work? And I think it's in that, literally those very, very small moments. And I think that some people like see them as breakdowns, some people see them as epiphanies, and it's your choice of yeah. decision. Yeah. And I think that for me, I remember when my ex-husband was having an affair with a friend of mine, and I remember knowing you know, I think that <laughs> there's no one as stupid as people who are having an affair. They think they're being really secretive. But let me tell you, the telltale saints, oh, they're losing weight. Yeah. They seem overly excited about life. Suddenly, they seem a lot more interested and fun. And somehow, the positivity that oozes from them and their attachment to the mobile phone seems slightly overtly increased. You know, nobody's clever in an affair. No one's secretive. Just if you're watching this and you're having an affair, yeah, yeah. believe it will, me, it'll catch you. people know, even if they're choosing not to see it, they'll know. And I knew from kind of when it began, and I can remember the night when I was sat, I was sat at home and I knew that that night was the night that I was going to challenge it. And he was at her house doing NLP. Believe me, if a practitioner does that to you, they should be done in the code of ethics. So he was there doing that with her. And I knew what was, I knew they were fucking each other. I knew that it was no, no choice at all. It was in my head. And I waited up till two o'clock in the morning and he walked in and I challenged him and he didn't tell me the truth and then I just said to him you know what the hardest thing that you can and cruelest thing that you can do to somebody who's innocent is to try to make them seem mad because they're telling the truth and actually with respect to him and I really do respect him What's because that that, ghost in these days, yeah but I do yeah. genuinely genuinely believe that that guy in that moment could have completely lied to me and tried to get away with it and he didn't yeah. and I really respect him for that and yeah. I, I have a really really good relationship with him and I think part of it is that but fundamentally that night even in that moment I remember thinking that's the sliding doors isn't it it's the oh, sliding yeah. doors moment because you know that you're challenging a whole new route a whole new path you know it's not going to go the way that even in a dissatisfied mundane average way but it was okay way yeah. you suddenly don't know and actually you know you can anticipate that with crisis or you can anticipate that with excitement and I remember saying to myself and this is not a good coping strategy that I'm going to share with you now mm -hmm. but nonetheless I will share it with you because it's what I did I said to myself that night you've got two weeks you've got two weeks to do whatever you need to do to get through. And there were two things that I needed to do to get through. The first was I went to work the next day, four hours after he left. So I went to work, I saw my manager, I said, my husband and me are split up, this is why. She came and said, do you think you're in a situation where you really should be practicing? 
And I said, if my clients can come to my room with the shit that's going on in their lives, then I damn well am going to get to their room with them. Yeah. And actually, that was massively helpful for me because it was like, you know what? I'm practicing what I'm preaching. Yeah. And I'm preaching that, you know what? You are more than one element of your life. You're more than your relationship. And that was really helpful. And the second was, I gave myself two weeks to drink whiskey every night. And I drank whiskey every single night. I didn't get blasted, but I got in, I drank whiskey, I read. And after two weeks, that was my decision. It was two weeks and it was gone. And obviously I like a glass of wine, but the point is that was my ability to compartmentalize what I felt was an appropriate grieving stage. And it allowed me that particular positioning of crisis it allowed me to see that life is bullshit when you're following the parameters that other people set the blueprint that everyone follows has been broken for so long and yet we just blindly follow it and the worst bit is we teach our kids it and right now you know we were having a conversation earlier on one of the things that blows my mind is tied my eldest son is doing his GCSEs this year you know and I'm sitting there and I'm hearing myself saying all the things that people say and believe me he knows that I love him whatever but you're kind of saying oh you have to jump through this hoop and I'm sitting there and I'm thinking why the fuck do you have to who's what these hoops are ridiculous mm. they're ridiculous mm. I don't even know how to answer his GCSE questions and I am way but then equally that. I've got to say that I did hear you saying to him I love you regardless whatever happens you've decided that you want to be a, a doctor that's right you've decided yeah. you actually did that's say that to him and, and you and it's yeah, it's I mean, on well, you. It's on you. If you if that's the route you're choosing, there's some rules that you do have to follow to get to that yeah. point. But I think, yeah, I mean... But I, as a parent, I think that you feel that therefore you have to help them on a journey. I suppose part of it for me is like, me and my sister got into an argument. I love my sister. She began really well. But we got into an argument. We were in Florida. And um, we got into an argument because she was saying that she didn't understand why I wouldn't push him. As in push him. And I said, because it's on him. It's on him. If he fails, then that's on him. And he has to figure a way forward from that. Failure will be important for him. For you, like, just out of interest, um, obviously losing a partner and one of the things I want to be really clear here with Holly is that you know Holly is far more than her husband's death and I think that what we do in society and particularly the press and I'm sure that if you've read about Holly or are an old fan of Biker Grove which was an (laughs) iconic series but if you've heard about Holly or if you're looking it up because you're in the States or South Africa or Australia we know that a lot of people like our podcast from there which we're massively appreciative for as you know if you are looking her up and finding that out, you will see a lot of Holly associated with her husband's death. And I think it's really important that that monolithic design where we decide that we're casting somebody in that way detracts from actually what the whole power of what Holly's talking about is. Because what really transpires for me, and I'm sure for you, even though you don't know Holly in the same context as me, but certainly you know her story, I find it mind-blowing that not only have you navigated and continue to navigate the area of grief and loss with such a positivity that I think it is palpable and it makes people who are in deep despair challenge what their belief is about their future but also I think it's really really dumbing down of you when they attach you consistently to just this like you had this massive career Massive career compared to the majority of human beings in acting. Massive. You gave it up to pursue nursing your husband, which is absolutely the right thing to do. And now you are tentatively making choices about where you want to go career-wise because actually acting is something you can do quite easily. Anybody who wants to see her doing accents, it's one of the most searched things. Look up Liverpool accent. Holly's there. She's bloody amazing. But there is this dumbing down of you because it's like, right, you became this. And I'm wondering, like, from your perspective... By the way, I'm honouring Ross here. Of course, you don't mind being called Ross's wife. Of course, you don't mind being the widow of him. He was a great guy. You make me laugh whenever you talk about him. But for you, how is it that, let's say, you get cast as a drug addict and then you find yourself always cast as a drug addict. Mm. But here we're cast as the widow. Yeah. What's that like and how are you breaking free of that? I was going to say, I, I think early on, in the very early stages of Ross's death, I... Like I do, like I've done with any, because there's been big stuff happen even before Ross um, died, even before Ross was diagnosed with brain cancer, I had other things go on. So for example, um, my daughter Brooke was born prematurely. So she was oh, six wow. weeks premature, wow. uh, preeclampsia. Then Brooke got at, hang on, how old was she? Seven weeks, she got meningitis. Oh, oh, Back in hospital really? again. Whoa. Yeah. Then when I was pregnant with Texas, they found out I had some autoimmune disease called 
uh, anti-phospholipid syndrome. Um, so I had to inject heparin into my pregnant stomach every day to stop me from miscarrying. Um, so we had a load of stuff and then Tex was early but planned. And yeah. then and then a year into Tex being born was when Ross was diagnosed with brain cancer. Now at every one of those things, I did what I've always done. So let's, for example, I really do think resilience is a, is a, is a mm. thing that we can build. It's like a, I agree. a muscle I that agree. we build. Now I know from being young, I talked about this recently on my Instagram about you know being grown up on television in school. That's yeah. not easy. I was from a working class area people didn't weren't on television I, suddenly I had money suddenly you know it was like who do you think you are One you were the girl as well was, you were yeah. the attractive yeah, girl I was popular at school yeah. and, and, and that brings its challenges you might see from the outside the oh I bet she's doing great and she's happy and but actually you've got all your own insecurities so I think really from those days I, I built a level of resilience to that then there was the knockbacks in the acting world and it's a hard world um, there was building that resilience there then there was you know the pregnancy stuff resilience res it's building it up so actually what I always did was to go where's the good okay where's the good so often that would be charitable stuff so I would go okay so I work with the Meningitis Foundation. I work with, you know, I'd always go and find, how can I find the goodness? Or, you know, I talk about it. I channel it. So I talk about my story with autoimmunities because actually a lot of people miscarry because of having that condition. It's very, it's not a very known condition, but actually a lot of people have that problem. So I talked about that in the press and I always try to found, find ways to do it. So when Ross was, when he died... I did that again because I found like it was always a good way of me being able to channel that pain into something good. And I went and did um, TV show in the UK, Lorraine Kelly. And that was, it's a very, you know, it's a big show for those that aren't from the UK. It has a, a huge audience. And I did that and it was talking about one of the most important things for me initially was exactly what you just said. When I was sat in the hospice, I was looking for somebody who was going through, who had gone through what I'd gone through, who wasn't a wreck. Because I was sat there going, I'm 32. I don't want this to be it. I don't want this. I don't want this to be it for my girls. Ross didn't want this. I don't want my life to be over. And I'm searching on Google and I'm looking at grief stuff and it's morbid and it depressing. Is morbid. And there's no hope. And I just thought, well, if it isn't there, then I'll be it. I have to say I as mean, well, just before you carry on with that, which is gonna obviously let you carry on with that, it's really interesting, is I watched all of them. Yeah. And I think that as a practitioner, obviously we live in a judgy society. If you are going through an issue yourself if you are dealing with grief and loss if you have got a situation where you have a terminal illness or somebody has a terminal illness or you're dealing with somebody who's a friend who's got one we all get affected by it let's be honest you should watch them and it's not because you should do it on a voyeuristic level because you won't get your hit from that holly isn't voyeuristic at all quite the contrary but what i found really interesting as a practitioner is often i think that i kind of have been there and seen it you know, I worked in palliative care. I've listened to people's journeys when they're dying. And I actually completely changed my perspective because of her brutal honesty, but also just the fact that there was no layer over it. Like she was a no cover individual. The way that she talks to you during those videos, you know that there's no disguise. She's not in any way putting on a performance. Quite the contrary, it's almost like, this is what's happening. This is where we are. I am caught in the headlights here. I'm really caught in the headlights here, but this is what I know. This is what I feel. And guess what? This is how it is to love somebody dying. But don't forget that you love them and you're grateful for that. So just to put it into context, so if you are going through it, I think it's really worth visiting. And we will put the links at the bottom of this. Pete, mm -hmm. it's always yeah, great yeah. at doing that. He forgets half the time, but we'll remember yeah, this I do. time. Yeah, I will remember this time. <laughs> but I do want you to hear that because like I said, I don't want Holly ironically connected with this forever. Yeah, I'm connecting it right now, but I'm doing that just on a purposeful level because I do think she's right. There were not things out there. People are afraid to talk about the positivity of dying. They're afraid to talk about loving dying. They're afraid to talk about coping in dying because it's almost like we're expected to fall apart. So if you want to visit an alternative perspective where you come away feeling empowered, sad, but also very grateful. I just go there. Anyway, please do carry on. I just wanted to know that I think, that. and it's interesting because I actually haven't watched any of those videos since. And, and the, it, I think you're right in that. And actually, I think it comes from the fact that I grew up on television. So a camera doesn't phase me. Like it isn't even 
So it's I think not there. It's just you, isn't it, talking to and you? And I did it. I can imagine that from some, and I certainly did get this response off some people, but actually not as much as you would imagine that there was, you know, maybe an oversharing. But actually, I think most people well, you don't watch understood, them. Don't watch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's the that's the yeah, you Don't tell I mean, me I'm oversharing. Don't, don't watch. watch. Yeah, I'm going to overshare. I know, and I think, but I think from most people that watched it, I think they understood that it was one. It was cathartic for me, and. And there isn't a layer, and I'm not. I'm not saying that to. I, there just wasn't. I didn't think about it. I just thought I'll get it out. I won't have to say it again. It's done. People won't mm-hmm. ask me. I won't. Have, and, and it worked because people didn't. And yes, okay, it was in the press and all of that stuff. But you know, I didn't have to talk about it. And actually, you know, going forward from that, so I did. You know, in answer in answer to the question, I I talked a lot about grief and that stuff because actually there was a message and there were there felt more of a there was a mission I you know we I'm very I guess mission oriented I need to have a thing a, a drive to what I'm doing next and initially it was right I will get through this stage it wasn't I guess a conscious thing of going I need to get through it but it was I'm channeling it into this right now I'm going to talk about it because maybe there can be lessons maybe other people can learn and I was seeking that and I didn't really see it and so I thought oh, well, I'll talk about it and I'll I'll talk about the messy bit and I'll talk about the fact that you absolutely love someone you're desperate for them not to die but at the same time you wish and they would die oh, sooner God, yeah. And that is a painful thing to admit. And I think people feel guilt surrounding that because they're going, but how can you want someone? You're what I'm watching someone. I'm watching my husband starve to death. I don't want to see that. And, but then on the, and other things that people didn't talk about, you know, Ross and I've spoken about this, my husband had autism. So he was very black and white in his thinking. He loved science. He loved nature. So actually in a weird messed up way, I'm sat there knowing who Ross was. We were together all of the time watching his body erode and do what bodies do when they're breaking down and dying. And I'm thinking, Ross would love this. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, how weird is that? But but that's honest. And I know that people will be like, that is morbid and messed up. I'm like, yeah, but he loved science. Yeah. It was black and white. It was real. Now, personally, I don't attach to a body in the way some people may. No. And for me, that wasn't the essence of Ross. That was his body doing what human bodies do. And it was breaking down. And, and you know, I had made my peace with that. Hap- that I mean, it, the, the reality of it's very, very hard. It but, is. but I had made my peace with that. That wasn't Ross. There wasn't the Ross that I knew. But yeah, I mean, going back to that question about moving from grief, um, for me, it was the, for me, the mission of, I guess, being open about, I've kind of done it. However, I will still talk about it because there's still that, you know, some people oh, haven't heard that message yeah, and it yeah, will reach yeah, people. Yeah. And I know that people are still going through it, people message me and, and I'm not blocking that off. But equally, I, I'm not defined by Ross's no. death. It's part of my journey. It's, it's part of my blueprint. It has shaped and changed who I am. And, you know, and I'm still very much in the, in the mix of, of the, my own grief, the girl, my daughter's grief. Oh, yeah. You know, that's a very different thing, parenting, grieving children. And that will be an ongoing thing where we're learning all the time. And, mm. and I've never done that before. And I'm having to learn constantly on how to deal with children. And that's a book. I think that's a book you need to write is the, mm. you know, that's, how to cradle children through this. Yeah, because... and, and I, I learn constantly. And my children, but the, the one thing, and I'm similar to you in, in how you parent. Yeah. So it's about, for me... I don't know what I don't know the pretend stuff I'm supposed so my children know about sex so yeah. my children I mean in fact just yesterday we watched um, Pitch Perfect yeah. and there's reference and my so my youngest one didn't watch it because she was bored but it's not because I didn't let her watch it she just was bored she was watching something else and she went to play so my older one um, who's eight and she said um, what's sex again then and I said, oh, so, well, you know, we talked about what sex is and it's how babies are made. But she said, but because the, the thing had referenced it in an enjoyable way and in people that weren't married and, yeah. and you know, they, they weren't. Yeah. And so I said, well, actually, you know, some people do have sex to make babies, but yeah. equally as two consent adults who care about each other and respect each other, they, some, they will have sex because it's enjoyable. Yeah. Now, for some people, that would be, oh my no. God, you cannot tell your eight-year-old. I, one, I didn't know the stalk story or whatever other story you've got <laughs> makeup. I don't know the rules. And it's the same with every other aspect of, if my children ask me a question about answer something, it. then I'm going to answer yeah. it. Because yeah. I am shaping them to be yeah. adults that are yeah. fully functioning, not massive babies. Yeah. Massive yeah. adult babies yeah. walking around who don't know that sex can be enjoyable. <laughs> my boys have been told yeah. about porn, what porn to watch. I, you know what? Comes from my my experience, stuff. I didn't find out about certain things I spoke no, about on podcast until them. I was like 15, 14, 15. I was just, you know, and I was just like, well, why didn't someone tell me? And my you know, parents did not no, speak my, to me about <laughs> Mine didn't. They're very, very, my parents are very liberal and very open-minded people. 
But when it came to, and no, I'm not judging them at all. Because no. I'm just not. But at the end of the day, they didn't talk to me about sex. No. They absolutely learned about sex by having sex. Yeah. And that's not ideal <laughs> always. No. You know, and I think, and, and I, you know, and again, it's not about judgment on my parents. I think or, you're absolutely right. But it's, I, I want to talk to my children so they can feel yeah. equally empowered. Talk, yeah. Empowered. And so I can sit, so they can come to me and go, is this normal? Is this okay? Yeah. You know, and my, my children do. I mean, they, they came into me and it's, it's quite, you know, they, they're two young little people and they came in on their little naked bodies and they were like, our fairies are different. That's different. And, you know, that's it. Mm. Isn't that an interesting thing about our bodies? And I was like, okay, this is a, com- I mean, as a, as a childish adult, I want to go, oh, that's funny. <laughs> yeah, just, mm, that's yeah. hilarious. But as a grown <laughs> parent, I'm like, okay, all our bodies are different. Yeah. It's fine. Everybody's bodies are different. Yeah. And it's cool. Don't worry about it. There's, everybody comes in different shapes and sizes. I think parenting's changed, hasn't it? From the oh, sort of God. 70s, 80s, and even oh, like yeah. 90s. I do it's, think it's, that there are a lot of people, like Holly's saying, I don't think a lot of people I do. I don't know if it has. I don't think it's changed. I've tweeted recently. Yeah. So anybody who's listening to this and anybody who sees me on TV and anybody who knows my kind of opinions personally, like I'm a massive advocate for LGBTQIA. I have a really, really clear agenda as far as equality goes and when I'm tweeting about the fact that I think sex education needs to be compulsory and that's because I want to protect kids from abuse for a start aside from everything else people are like kids are too young it's wrong to do it you're breaking religious codes and all that so actually I don't think it has I I don't think it has and even not even from a religious like extreme aspect no just from a moral from a morality because people don't think you should because they think you're they think you're in childhood. Yeah, you're yeah. thinking you're encouraging sex. I'm See, not encouraging right. my children to That's have it. sex, for goodness sake. What I'm doing is teaching them that, you know, certainly where I grew up in Newcastle, yeah. people had sex really young. Yeah, well, he I'm says that 12, about 13, 14. Absolutely. You know, the Northeast, yeah. absolutely. And it yeah. had one of the highest rates of teen pregnancy when I was growing up. Can I just up. say, um, Berry, where I grew up, had the highest did in it? Europe. It's like, woo! Oh, did it? I'm sure we did it at one point as well. We're very proud. The thing is, though, we're kids. We're kids. When you think about it, if you teach a child, the ins and outs of sex from an early age. It's you know, they haven't got, the, they don't have the, the, the kids, so they're just going to forget about it and be a kid again. But they'll yeah. have the knowledge there because they've been told something. Yeah. You and know, then so when, when yeah. you develop on that, when they've got more, uh, more teeth yeah. brain, or when they're starting to, you know, think feelings. about that yeah. and get the feelings, then they're not as scared because you've already broached it. I yeah. broached it on a scientific level. Now that's now progressed this week where Brooks went, Hang on a minute. I just heard something there that meant that it wasn't just about making babies, yeah. Mom. Yeah. Okay, so mm. now we develop it. Now I've already discussed the science side of it, the, the bit that made them go, oh, that sounds disgusting. <laughs> um, <laughs> yuck. In fact, actually, it did make me laugh because my brother and sister-in-law, before they had their little boy, um, they didn't know that I told the girls what sex was. And my sister-in-law had them in the car. And um, they'd obviously... She'd said something about... They'd, Says, asked her about wanting kids and then she did explained how babies are made to her and she went she'd obviously said oh that sound i don't fancy that so they came to me and they said oh xanthi that's my sister xanthi wants to adopt and i was like oh, okay this is news to me i didn't know that does she and they went yeah she doesn't like the way babies are made and i was like oh okay like, then she rang me and she was like why didn't you warn me that your kids know about sex? I was like, okay, it's fine. But like you say, then you can you can then broach it. And it's it's that kind of, it's not, goodness me, it's not about encouraging them. Then They are going to get to an age where sex comes into play. We are human yeah. beings. This is a natural thing. But then you can go. And I'm you can excited for them. Like I've got and like, healthy, a yeah, healthy sex life. My boys are 16 and 14, right? 16 and 14. And we, we are so transparent. I mean, yeah. literally when they were very young, I started to talk to them about sex. Mm -hmm. Because one of the Mm. reasons for that, and I really don't care about other people's opinions on this, because I live my proof with my children. I live my proof. So if I got it wrong, I live my proof, right? I've got it right, because I live my proof. They're they're nice. I've met them today, and they're nice people. Oh, your kids are amazing. I actually told Brooke in Tesco, we went to Tesco before, went a bit of a shop, me and her daughter. I often do that. I kidnap other people's children. (laughs) I want to pretend they're mine, you know what I mean? Because I look younger with kids that are that age. And then we were walking around and she's just an adorable child. So bright, but also just like really endearing and like Pete wants to keep her. And oh, then he's actually oh, yeah. halfway all around right. Tesco awesome. going to her, Brooke, I've decided that you're just going to have to stay with me. And she went, all right. And I was like, no, no, like I'm serious. So, so tomorrow you will be going home alone. Um, but nonetheless, I'm keeping the <laughs> one. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 she's super she's cute. cute. But my kids, like my eldest son, he's 16, 17 this year, going to be able to drive 
Yes, I'm so excited. I'm so excited yeah, for drive it. The younger one so excited for it. I just can't believe it. He can't believe it. He's going, Mom, I'm just a kid and I'm going to be able to drive. And I'm like, I'm not sure that's the right attitude, but brilliant. That's <laughs> brilliant. But on a genuine level, one of the things that really kind of like blows my mind is the fact that I've always had these really honest conversations. And from about 11, when they went to high school, I've talked about pornography and said, you know what, you can get it free. I use pornography occasionally. Gotta say it bores me a bit these days, but I definitely used it when I was younger. Certainly when I wasn't in a relationship, I used pornography. And I want them to realize that I work with boys and girls who grow into people with sexual dysfunction because they use the wrong kind of pornography. It titillates them in a way that is not necessarily great. It means they can't get triggered in a way that's satisfying and it causes problems. So they know the parameters. But what's really surprising is my children also know about my own sexuality and that it's maybe not quite as... I'd say straightforward as it is mm. for the black and white hetero community. I consider myself pan. They are really proud of the fact that I don't fit a paradigm that a lot of people openly fit. Yep. I have created the most white heterosexual males in the whole world. <laughs> Anybody who's worried about the openness and the honesty of a parent who maybe doesn't fit a sexual paradigm that is, shall we say, average it does not matter because your kids are your kids and they are who they are and their genetics are the genetics. And one of the things that really I love is that Tide, for example, who's my eldest, they'll kill me for talking about him, but never mind, I'll be dead one day and then they'll love it because he can remember my voice. <laughs> and that's why I'm towing that party line. He actually doesn't <laughs> feel any pressure at all. No, he doesn't Like does he? he refuses to have a girlfriend until he goes to college. He so thinks cool. that relationships should be long-term. I have no idea how I created him. Believe me, wow. if you knew the history of me and his ex, you know, my ex... But one of the most important things is that he just sees relationships as these really worthy things mm -hmm. where you should have sex when you really want to enjoy. He knows he doesn't need to have sex with a woman because he loves her. But yeah, he knows but isn't that, that interesting. He's got, and yeah. Maybe it's that lack of enjoy. Maybe that's what I think. And you know, alcohol. I think it is. Same with alcohol. I, went, I grew up in like France. I was in France. I worked in France. They give kids alcohol from five. We've always given them a little bit of wine, right? Enough, a little bit. Yeah. He goes to parties I think where parents really give them beer. Yeah. He's, he's like, oh, a little bit. Well, again, my parents were, again, they were so liberal in so many ways. But yeah. again, with alcohol, they really weren't. And that's why I had problems. <laughs> when, I was, when I was a kid, like, I'm not mm. saying I had problems into adulthood because I didn't, but I drank alcohol really young. And it was, again, it was because it was that taboo, taboo. thing. I actually don't, I mean, I'm having a glass of wine now, but that would be probably the first glass of wine I've had in about yeah, three not, months. Yeah, yeah, we're not. We yeah. like a glass of wine, but we... Yeah. That, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and I'm not and I, it's really been interesting because I've had to shift my own thoughts on how I would parent because I always thought I would be a little bit more open-minded but actually I'm and maybe as well as a single no, you look at boundaries though I've heard the way you speak to your children it's yeah, so no, much boundaries. about being kind and being compassionate oh yeah. yeah I mean it's absolutely got like a right good little squad going on there it's, and I always say uh, that to them as well you know I always say we are a team and we have to work to together yeah. we're a team oh, you, 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 yeah. you know what I've uh, blown me away today I mean I'm not saying that I wasn't expecting you to be like, you know but just the how Polite yeah, and, and wonderful. Always, yeah. you, you're bringing some uh, beautiful. And do you know that I, I said to Brooke, then I, we, we had and thank you because they're, they're nice people and and that's always I always think that as well. Like I'm, I say to the girls, I'm not bringing you up to be my friends, right? I'm no. not. I'm your parent, and sometimes I'm going to tell you stuff because I'm older I'm and wiser. Bringing you up to be my carer. Yeah. Oh, they had me yeah. fully involved <laughs> in it without carer. even trying. I mean, I didn't yeah. even realise what's happening. They had me fully involved <laughs> oh, in the yeah, games. Yeah, and I'm yeah. like, I'm fully involved yeah. in these games. Like, how the well serious, competitive, trying to win. I mean, we saw you, Pete. We all saw you. Yeah. We all saw you trying to beat the kids. It's fine. I mean, yeah. you're trying to play it down I now. You didn't I win. lost everything. You know what I mean? Didn't God. you win the, the... I think you won one of them. I oh, think they I? let the you bowling. win. The bowling. The oh, bowling. Oh, of course I was going to win that. <laughs> Took it well serious. <laughs> but then, do you know what? I think it's because we talk these big conversations with them. Like, Brooke, recently, we, again, we had big conversations about grief and about... She was, you know, she as most children who've have lost a parent, it's about whether I'm going to die. And, and we have mm. honest conversations. I can't tell her I'm not going to die. I tell her I'm trying not to. I'm trying to be very so risk averse. No, but I can't tell her that. And she's not stupid enough. And actually, in terms of my beliefs in life after death or religion, um, they knew my beliefs on that beforehand. And we had actually covered those topics before Ross died, which I'm very glad that I did. And I didn't get scared of those topics because they knew where I stood. And I've always said none of us know 
there are people that believe this, there are people that believe this. And where we used to live, we had um, an Irish Catholic family living on one side and a Muslim family on the other side. And it was very easy for me to go, so these believe this, this believe this. <laughs> we, and I'm, I class myself as, I guess, an atheist. So I don't believe in a agnostic, God. Agnostic. Oh, agnostic. So if God came up and went, hello, I'm God, yeah. Um, then I'd, yeah. But I always argue that you can't be anything but agnostic because if you're atheistic, you may as well be religious because you can't believe either. Yeah, well, exactly. There's that. So, and, and I, but I've always said to the girls about energy. I'm like, you know, energy is real. That's something that continues, you know, and, and I always talk about how, you know, your, their dad will live on in them. Their dad lives on in the Massively. legacy that he has left behind, the impact that he had on the people. We talk about how, you know, and, and you spoke about this with Brooke that, um, you know, in 32 years, he actually, you know, he used to say to me, and when, when he knew he was going to die, he used to say to me, I've done everything that I wanted to do. I've lived my life exactly, and he, I mean, he was exactly how he wanted to be. He said what he wanted to say. He didn't put up with anything he didn't want to. He did what, you know, he pissed a lot of people off a lot of the time, but equally they knew he loved them in the same breath. And, you know, he had he, he had property, which means he provides for us as a family. Not many people can say that they did that at 32. And even, you know, our love with each other, we had, you know, eight, we had nine years together. And I remember when, when Ross knew we was going to die, about eight, well, eight years in, he knew that we weren't going to be able to keep the cancer away. And I remember him saying, it won't seem enough on paper, but we were together every single day. There was, you know, I look at it and go, you know what? A lot of people spread that out. They go to work. They go, they didn't have that together. Mm-hmm. We did. And as much, you can look at that and feel sad. But like I said to you earlier, even with all the pain, I'd do it again. I do it again, and I, I teach my children that we are so lucky to have had that. That we're lucky that they had, you know, a dad who wanted to be around them. And you know, when we had that conversation the day, I said to Brooke, "You know what? You're going to be okay, mate. And even when you're not okay, you're going to be okay. And yeah. you've got a whole heap of support around you and people who are rooting for you. They want you to do well, and they got you back. And and I always say to them, we'll cry along the way, and we'll feel sad, and we'll miss dad, but." you'll be all right. And I think yeah, it's just, it's those totally. conversations on every, whether it's grief, whether it's sex, whether it's alcohol, have those conversations and stop being bloody scared to have them with your yeah. kids. Treat them with a bit more respect, actually. Yeah. And also recognise that, like, you're creating those stepping stones. I mean, we were talking, because <coughs> recently I got this really bizarre circumstance, didn't I? You know, I got a text message of mm. an old friend yeah. and he was just like, have you heard the news about this particular individual? And mm. I was like, what I actually said first of all was, oh my God, is he dead? Because that's what you expect, right? You expect yeah. that Especially when you like, yeah, you do. Mm. And yeah. this was a particular individual that I had spent years looking for. He was such a close friend of mine for a very long time. And then we lost touch. And on social media, he was never there. And I kind of just accepted that we'd lost touch. Yeah. And this guy got in touch, really good friend of mine. He's a lovely guy. And he was like, I'd not talked to him about this guy because ironically, I'd never really connected him with him. And he was like, well, yeah, it's not that he's dead, but he's got a couple of weeks. And I instantly said, please ask him whether I can come and see him. So that same day, I got a text back saying he would love to see you. And I literally went and spent pretty much the two yeah, weeks literally, Rochester on the corner. So all the time. Never left was, home. Yeah. David so he was, you know, 40, oh, what was he? 40, 46, yeah, 47. Wow. And he hadn't left home. So, he hadn't so left you, home. well, you would never have thought no. to, to. But I no. just can't believe that. But at the same time, I was saying to Pete, because Pete kind of lent me him for two weeks mm. and he didn't have a wife. So I kind of went and stroked him every day. And yeah. I always say, like, it was like a cradling into just, death. Yeah, just say, yeah, just, yeah, just, yeah. And it was a beautiful to, experience to. because I don't know if we'd have been that close, if we'd known each other all those years. It was like mm. the closeness was still there from what we had all those years ago. But what was really expressive for me and internalized as well was this sense of there is just something so uniquely natural about death. Like we do so much to fight against it. We have this almost ideology with eternalism where we want to feel that somehow we can cheat death. We can prevent it happening. But we talk about, well, it was a great death because they were 95 and they died in the sleep. You know, there were all these terms. They had a good innings and all those Good innings. And my thing is, like, when you're present, and now this is the third person I've been present with, you know, a very loved person I lost when I was in my 20s. Pam, my best friend who I was with, as she took a last breath, who's my best friend in the world, you know, a few years ago. And now this particular individual who I loved very much when I was younger. And ironically, as opposed to it taking me away from know 
a desire to kind of like, you know, cheat death. Yeah, I don't want to mm. cheat. I, I, I like the idea. I like the idea of death. I actually think there is something almost so organic. Like I felt privileged and yeah. honoured in all of those situations. That isn't to say that I don't miss people. I miss them massively. What's well, an indentation in every human's blueprint to know that. I feel you know. so blessed. Like, yeah, that's. I, I mean, I think there's something weird that we try to run from it, right? Well, Ross didn't, and that's interesting. Like Ross really understood. Like he used to. I mean, jokes aside, he used to say from when we met. I'll be dead by the time I'm 30. Really? Yeah, I used to say it. And I used to go, that's morbid as fuck. Mm. Like, why are you saying that? And he used to often say, I'm due a funeral. I mean, he, I mean what kind of business is that? <laughs> I'm due, he said, I'm due one. And I had one for ages, I'm due a funeral. And But he was never scared of death. And mm. actually, I mean, I asked him that question. I said, are you scared? And he said, like, I'd like to know what's going to happen. He asked that question. It's to the how it. to die. He was like, and, how yeah. will I, I mean, will it be painful? I mean, I guess that's, you what was your worry. He was like, what's going to happen? And the, the surgeon explained it to us actually. And, um, you know, we asked, actually, we, we had that really serious conversation. We asked his parents to leave because I just do not think that's a conversation a yeah. parent needs to hear. And what, was, what did they say? Um, and they just said, actually, what will happen is you become really drowsy with brain cancer. They said, you become very drowsy and you'll, you'll pretty much go to sleep. You, you may have some seizures on the re- run, up, run up to it, which kind of happened. But they said, actually, you just become very drowsy and you'll go to sleep. And that's what yeah. pretty much what happened. And, yeah. and, it, and it wasn't anything. Did uh, you find out of interest... Um, when Pam died, obviously I was there for the days before mm-hmm. and I was there during and um, I was actually texting somebody to complain when she actually took her last breath oh, and normal, so I was next to her. There was something completely non-profound about that last breath. I, I know this sounds ridiculous. No. I, I mean, she had everything, meant everything to me and, and losing her was massive, but... But you'd already had those... those it was like, had, like... It was so like... Do you know what? Yeah. Inter- I mean, and I'll share this with it. The, me and Emma connected properly actually when Ross was in the hospice and, and you had... Yeah. Not, I mean, it hadn't really been long since you had lost Pam. Yeah. And, um, and you messaged me and I was, you know... I was there in the hospice waiting for Ross to die and we were listening for the, the change in his breathing and, and the, the death rattle and all the stuff that you'd gone through. And I, you know, I was scared. I was scared that I was going to miss it. I was scared that I, it was going to be horrific. I was, you know, all of those normal things that while you're sitting just waiting for somebody to die and, and you messaged me and you actually gave me a lot of comfort in just saying that it's not going to be as big a thing as you think it's actually going to be quite a nothing moment yeah. and I can remember what happened on the day of Ross's death is that um, I mean we were around all the time and we and the the nurse I mean they're great in yeah, hospice, hospice care they really amazing. know and um the beautiful nurse and, and name escapes me but she was a beautiful person is a beautiful person and she actually in the morning she was in with me for quite a while and she just went I think it's time to get mum over and get mum over and I went okay and then we got everyone round and we, we rang actually Ross's brother who's a footballer and he was um, it was actually um, the season hadn't started it was pre-season and then um, we said look it's going to be today we don't know when but it's going to be today likely do you want to be here have you made your peace or do you want to be here and he went I'm going to play 45 minutes and I'm not bothered if I'm there he'd made his peace he'd said bye to his brother and, um, and we all sat round and actually we thought he took his last breath in the morning and then he didn't and um and then we all just sat around and, and we were joking and laughing and, and it's weird, like there's that gallows humour thing. You know, I agree. Human. Like we were I, make, agree. I mean, we were yeah. making jokes because when he took his last breath, his mum did what mums do and she she did, you know, they're, they're trying to not have him die because that's what mums do. And he took another breath and so his dad was like, oh my God, like, I don't know what you did. But and her, we were like, me and his sister were like, Jesus Christ, she's the Messiah. She's <laughs> the Messiah. And we were making jokes. I mean, you've got to laugh because yeah. it's, it's a weird situation. And actually, I left the room, which, to be honest, at that stage, I was really struggling to leave the room. And I left the room to go and get some food. And bear in mind, I wasn't eating very much at all. The fact that he died while I was eating is outrageous and rude. And so I took, I had about two mouthfuls. And then his sister had said to him that she loved him. And she, so we came in, she went, I just said I loved him. And then he was taking his last breath. And we were all there. And one of the things for me, actually, because I had kind of, I knew it was, obviously I knew it was going to happen. One of the things that I really didn't want to do, it sounds weird, but I didn't want to pack his stuff up after. I get it totally. Because it felt like, oh, there we go then. That's it. Like, it just felt really strange. So I thought, I'm going to do everything so I can just leave. And I don't have to pack stuff. And, and, you know, people, certainly because there was a lot of press, there was a lot of stuff was sent to us in the hospice and things up. And I just thought, I'm going to take all of that. On the days leading up, I took everything down. Because I was like, I just... It's too much to... But that, that ritual of like... Yeah, just unpacking. Just not, And I didn't want to do that. So I was like, let's just get this shit out of here. And when and when he died, you know, there was that moment of, do you want to be 
on your own and I just it was so weird because it wasn't him it was just a body I get that totally and you know even we put a lot of pressure and certainly on a, in the UK you know there's the we may have a coffin and we and Ross was cremated mm. but you know we, we had a Sheffield Wednesday coffin just because he I'd have quite liked that I guess you know and but Ross had very much been part of he, he told me what I want for his funeral when we had his second brain surgery, we didn't know whether he'd pull through. Actually, he had about a year after that, or, or maybe sometime. But he did things like he designed some badges. Um, some he designed like he's very good with artwork and creative stuff. And he and, um he designed some sort of Sheffield Wednesday style badges with Ross and um, memory of Ross Blair. He designed them himself. Now at the time when he was doing it, I was like, do we have to? I mean, really? <laughs> I mean, really? Yeah. And he, his uncle's really into badges and stuff, and so he knew people that would get them done. And he and he was like, yeah, well, that's I'd like that. People would. He was like, people would like a badge. I think people would like a badge. It's a nice memory, isn't it, a badge? And he was always forward thinking about how other people would deal with it. You know, even him getting his, having the second brain surgery, that's a choice, like whether you have that or not. And I said to him, look, this is your journey. You make that decision for you. I'll be supportive on whatever you decide. That's a big decision. And he said at the time, I don't want people being left wondering if I should have made that decision and done it and give it a shot. Wow. But he was always thinking about what other people would wow. left. I mean, even down Making to... Making sure that the closure yeah, was, it was exactly. confirmed. It was exactly. You know, even, you know, even yeah. things like, and, and people, and there's no judgment either way on this. Some people will do letters and, you know, for their children or um, things for the future. And Ross went, I cannot make decisions for my children in the future. You know, people saying, oh, on your marriage day, he's like, I don't know whether they'll be gay, whether they'll not get married, whether they'll, you know, I don't, I can't make, cho- they should not be making choices based on what their dead dad is saying. And also, I think there's... Um, it's totally, completely individual, but Absolutely. I also think that it can be quite sad. Yeah, to have oh, yeah. that. Yeah, and and even like I mean, we it's it's kind of it's kind of funny because we don't I mean we don't have religion any of us. So I mean I guess some of some people kind of believe in an afterlife a little bit, but there's no really intense religious. I am sort totally of totally going with the end film where yeah. I get to have Backstreet Boys the minute that nice. I die playing to me. Oh. I, that is <laughs> my <laughs> heaven. Well, do you know people sang in Ross's funeral. Honestly, like people just like and I don't mean like like choir songs. I mean like people sang um, the specials. Yeah, um, you, you know um, I can't even think for now. I'm like fully going with afterlife. Enjoy yourself. Totally Message to you, Rudy. No, enjoy yourself. It's enjoy, oh, enjoy Everyone yourself. sang that at his funeral. <laughs> yeah, just yeah. It, it wasn't meant to start, but the song came on. Then people just started going singing it, and it was yeah. it was yeah, that I am cool. the resurrection by the Stone Roses the other day, didn't we? Yeah. Amazing. But isn't that? Do you know what? He Ross really loved it. He met a nurse actually who just planned her funeral when we were in the hosp- hospital oh, one time, wow. and he was like, "I love that. I absolutely love that." And his mom then, because he really persuaded her, and he's like, "Look, just." She's paid for a funeral. She's like, look, this is, I, I want to be in charge of it. I want to know how it's going to run. And, and Ross was very much the same. And, and actually his funeral, Louise, who, who we were speaking about earlier, a friend of ours, she was at the funeral as well. And, and she was like, people left going, oh my God, I feel really like inspired, uplifted. uplifted. Mm. Because it was very much his message of like, enjoy yourself. It's later than you think. Live how you want to live. And, and that was absolutely his message. And I'm not like, when we finished the funeral, I was like, have loved that but it's weird as well because if you think about it more in a serendipitous terms pete often talks about sliding doors moments Mm -hmm. and like you talked so we kind of because i'm incredibly nosy know quite a lot about how they met and they were both meant to be on reserve for a job and both of them were called in because the people had gone sick and that's how they met the serendipity of that but then actually the serendipity of meeting a human who is going to die but meeting another human who, through that death, is going to create something that can not just reach others, but that can change other people's lives and that feels so moved by the experience and also so like they were the right person to meet and connect with that human being because they had the mind and mental state to not only cope with it, mm. but to connect and thrive with it. It could only have been that situation with you yeah. meeting him where he was allowed to be loved fully without fearing for you and still have all the things that create a family and the joy mm-hmm. of children and a knowledge that his life had had great meaning and love had had great meaning. It is serendipity when those is, two words yeah. collide. Yeah. And I, do, I think I, I really do. I, I think, you know, we often try and find sense in stuff, but I think for me, it's just about trying to find some connection while we're here and not, 
No, I agree. I, that, that's all we can do. Like, we, we are going to lose the people that we love. They're going to die. Undertake to do it joyfully. Just, yeah, just, just yeah. seek, just seek out the moments that are good that's around one thing it. That every human has. We're connected gone, completely. You know, we can't, we can't. Why are we so shit at dealing with it? As why? Well, I mean, why? Because, that's true. Well, it's because society and, and is it's been filtered down it, yeah. from people who run countries to like I know as far as that. Right. Like, this, this is how it should be dealt and with. We, and, and this is how you should grieve, and this is how you should do yeah. it. And this is, and it, we have all the. I mean, it's the same across the board with everything. We have all of these rules, and I think. It's just, yeah, I, I agree with you. I don't, you know, there's so many things where you think, you know, we shouldn't have met, we shouldn't have, it, it seems like we shouldn't, but then we should have for all those reasons. And, and a friend of mine, she always says, yeah, but that was, and whatever you believe, you know, she'll say, but that was supposed to happen. Ross did what he had to do to be here. He was, he already did his thing. He, and, and Ross used to, one thing he always used to say to me was just, and we actually put it on his funeral card things that we did. And he just said, just tell them I was all right. You know, like, I mean, he had absolutely no I love ego. That. I love he was that. like, there's no reason, there's no, you know, dad was I should scared. be dead. Dad was okay, dad he was, was happy. And I, and I dad say that to right. Brooke in Texas all the time. Like, dad was, and they That's love a it. massive joy. Like, he wasn't scared. He doesn't regret things. The, the only one thing I can actually say, and Brooke asked me this, just, the only one thing is he'd have quite liked to go on an African safari. Yeah. And I think that's the only thing that you regret. What a joy. Yeah, I mean, that's, I mean, everything else. And we else, all need dreams, so yeah. everyone's going to die with some of those, right? And you know, like, that's, I mean, at 32, a really gen, and I know this, and people often think, thought with Ross as well, I think they thought he maybe sobbed at home or he was frightened. And I'm like, he wasn't. Like, we talked about everything, and actually that's really good for me, because I know what he was thinking and things. In fact, he was very repetitive in his thoughts because of the autism. He would repeat <laughs> things on loop. And if I ever, like, kind of veered away from a normal banter that we had around the house, he'd be like, yeah, that's not how you normally say it. Can you just say exactly how you normally say it? Otherwise, it's going to freak me out. So I know what he would say on and sort of every topic, and that's really comforting for me. It's comforting, to, you know, with the girls and stuff. And I said this to Brooke again. You know, I, I remember in my moment of like weakness and fear at the very beginning, I remember saying, I can't do this without you. I can't, like, oh. I'm scared. And, and him just saying, yeah, you can. You'll be yeah. fine. They'll be fine. Yeah. They'll be fine. And, and you know, that, there's, there was just a, there's a comfort for me. And I think that's hard for people to understand who didn't know us as no, a couple. No, I get that completely. But people who know us, who knew us as a couple would go, that's just that, that's, the, that's how they were. We were very brutally honest with each other. You know, Ross talked about youth, euthanasia, like really early on. I like, told the kids I'm totally doing yeah, it was like, you, you, anything goes Absolutely, wrong. if it's bad, he was like, you know, and, and I found this hard in the, in the hospice. And I've spoke about this before because when he had set, before second brain surgery, he was like, I just don't want you feeding me fucking yogurt. Yeah, like, I, I don't yeah. want that. Yeah. Like, and so when I was feeding him fucking yogurt in the hospice, and that's honestly like, you know, I'm, and I had to say it, one of the nurses or doctors had to say to me, but it's a different version. It's, you, yeah. it's not who you were dealing with before. Cause I really found that difficult. Cause I was like, I know he fucking doesn't want this. In fact, actually when he was in, just before he went to the hospice, they were giving him something for the cancer in the hospital. And um, I remember the doctor, initially we felt like maybe there'd be an extension of life. And he was at this point like where he was not there with his brain, was not there. He was like disabled, mm. brain damaged and in a wheelchair, not really being able to walk. I mean, he's speaking a bit and we were getting moments of him. Yeah. And I remember the doctor saying, you know, so, you know, we, we, can, we can keep, we won't be able to get many better than this. But we, and I went... <sighs> What, and I just, I was angry. I, know, I, I, went, like, well, what we, I went, well, what are we doing then? Because yeah, he don't want this. Exactly. Like, he doesn't want this. And, and if you want, we, well, we're just going to keep him there, like, so, you know, propping like him up with the sticks, with popping. Right. Absolutely, yeah. that's not who he is, and no. it's not what he wants. So can we just stop? And actually, like, you know, for some people, that must, that's really difficult. But, but for that's me, such was a like, moment of power. That's, that that's was like me going, actually, I'm standing up for who Ross yeah, was as a person, right. and he didn't want that. Uh, he's not staying for me. He's, I'm letting him go because he needs to Yeah, I mean, he. it's not just about propping someone up as a body and going, here we go they're still well they're not here because no, that's not right exactly. that's a version that he didn't ask to be and so that you know that's all it's all very nuanced stuff that again we don't often talk about because we're just we're scared we're yeah. all scared of our own mortality yeah. aren't we and yeah I mean I think that you know when kids and death all of those things become taboos to a lot of people I remember on a completely minor level mm. but we had a Kit and we love our animals. Anybody who watches us knows we love our animals. Yeah. Um, yeah. We had this yeah. year. Well, you got two shows in the year, 
Yeah, we are well, talking about getting alpacas. So they, that, alpacas, I mean, let's do it. Pigs a lot. Yeah, but there was um, a situation where we had uh, a cat, and the cat had a feline FIP, but unfortunately, it was a recessive gene, which meant that it shouldn't have happened, but it did. And he was a year old. And I remember explaining to the kids when we watched him, and it's really awful FIP because it just disintegrates the animal. It's like cancer, really. It's the same kind of thing. And when the kid he died, the kids said to me, um, like, why, why did he die? And I said to them, you know what? There is a special opportunity where, in my opinion, lives are given to you so that you can tend to them mm. because you're the right people to love them enough even during that pain. Yeah. And if they, that cat, it's a tiny thing compared to what you went on no, about. No, no, but... But that cat was sent to us, in my opinion, whatever reason why, coincidence, serendipity, it doesn't matter, because we could love him yeah. and cope with it. And we wanted yeah. to do that, and it came to us. And I think Ross is an yeah. example of how, you know, tragedy... And it is a tragedy, of course. It is an absolute tragedy and a travesty. And it is unfair that you and your children do not get to have his presence in your life for the rest of your life. But also... It's an absolute celebration that Ross has had two beautiful... I mean, they are beautiful. Oh, I genuinely nice. mean yeah. that I probably am. If you don't see Holly again, <laughs> it wasn't me that disposed of her body. We have a big garden really and a bag dear. of lime. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. <laughs> but, bored. you know, the truth is that that tragedy, yeah. you know, isn't a tragedy at all. It no. isn't a tragedy. It's a thing of joy and creation and hope and possibility. And, yeah. of course, children who are going to grow into mm. adults who will be memorised... And I, say to, and I say to the girls as well, we will, uh, I said this to Brooke the other day, we will, we will be better people because of this. I mean, I feel like I'm I a mean, better person because I know your story. Oh, yeah, yeah, I mean, I've obviously a new story, but it's the first time I met you today and, and I'm just, uh, you've blown me away. Uh, this is just listening to, I mean, then you're telling even more of the stuff that happened before, mm. you know, uh, losing Ross the day. There's a lot of stuff. But I genuinely, and I mean, I always feel like, I mean, and, and I've said to you as well, my sister's partner has leukemia mm. right now, although he's he's in recovery. And you could feel, and I talk about this a lot on, on you know on my social stuff as well, and I talk to people about this a lot. I don't feel sorry for myself. And it's not, I don't mean this like as some kind of weird, I'll just see what I can endure. Yeah, I get it. But life is not going to give you a let off. And no. if you think that you're going to get a let off, then you're going to be disappointed. Yeah. If you, exp I mean, in not that I would class myself as a Buddhist, but in Buddhism, they talk about life being painful. They talk about that life is a painful place. And actually, when I first got introduced to some of the, uh, Buddhist philosophies and stuff I was like god that's so negative like no it's not this isn't a happy place and um but actually I understand what that is meaning as in if you can learn to accept that then you can create a really excellent life around that if you fight that and you expect you're going to breeze through life then you're going to be really disappointed because yeah. we feel pain all the time we feel pain when somebody offends us we feel pain when we have to get out of bed in the morning it's warm and comfy in our beds we feel pain all the time and if if we think we're going to walk around just getting a let off, or even if you have something bad happen, you think, oh, that's me done. It's not going to be done. There might be something else. You know, th there's yeah. no sense in it. No. If you start feeling certain going, it's just me, it's, I'm bad luck. I'm, no, you're not. Yeah. No, you're not. It's not just you. There'll be another moment. Yeah, there'll be another moment. And you just got to be, I mean, I, I talk about this a lot, but you've got to find, you've got to fill the in-between moments with good stuff. Actually, I use Ross in, as an example sometimes because he used to say to me, I used to suffer with mouth ulcers from stress. Mm. And when I used to get one, they were really bad. I don't actually so much now, but now and then, because I'm a bit more mindful to watching what I'm doing. <laughs> but I'd get them and he'd always say, when I didn't have them, he'd go, recognize when you don't have a mouth ulcer <laughs> really appreciate it i know that sounds stupid but actually that's i, I use that as a thing now because i'm like when you're not going through something be mindful when you're not yeah absolutely. don't start dwelling on it yeah. or thinking about what worries are going to happen what could exactly. happen just yeah. be mindful and go present be present Enjoy. i'm not absolutely. actually right now it's all right i'm just sat here having a glass of wine yeah i could focus on what's just happened yeah. whilst dying i could focus on what about my children do this or yeah. something happens or they don't they can't get through their gcse's or enjoy the now just go yeah. right do you know what right now it just you know we're having a nice conversation and that's totally it great. i think i i genuinely feel like one of the things about resilience and core resilience as you talked about before is Resilience says you'll encounter all the same shit, you'll lose all the same people in mm -hmm. your life, you'll go through all the same pain, but actually you'll just weather it because you know, hey, that's life. Mm -hmm. You don't get to escape it, you don't no. get to dodge it. If you get a bit of good stuff, brilliant, but you know what, blink of an eye, blink of an eye of existence, you with the sperm, you got the egg, 
you managed to get born alive, yeah, well you done. managed to exist. If there's not gratitude in that, then there is a real sadness for me. Yeah. You know, when I was talking earlier on about a particular woman who talked at a TED talk and she described the mm. fact that she was dying, she had a terminal illness yeah. and she just was thrilled at death, not because she had not enjoyed life, but because she found life just so wonderful and she considered herself to be a delicious feast for the animal, the uh, you know earthworms that would eat her, and that she hoped that she would be devoured and enjoyed. Yeah. And there is something beautiful about that process, as we all come to be, yeah. we all come to pass. Mm. And actually, that is the cycle. And without that, there is no meaning. So I think that's I actually, really important. Yeah. And I actually felt that I, you know being at somebody's death, and I'd also been at the birth of my nephew, and there was there was just something intra- like Palpable, something isn't real. It? Yeah. There was something raw being at a birth totally agree. and a death and understand this is, that's real, that's life. You know, all the stuff we get worried about. The in-between, all the all the, all the, the nonsense, all the absolute bullshit we get bothered about. You know, all the shite we see on social media and what clothes we're in, what fucking status we're, what yeah. job we do, what yeah. fucking thing we're attached to. It's nonsense because we're no. all going to die. We're all going to give birth. You know, we're all going to do these things. We're, gonna we're all going to grow old if we're lucky. If we're lucky. I mean, my, you know, my dad always used to say that, you know, people talk about being old and he'd be like, yeah, it's but what, you know, it's a privilege. Like the, the alternative ain't much better. No. Yeah. I'm like, I, I've never I, looked at it like that. Actually, it is a privilege to get old. It's a privilege. It? Yeah. Like, you know. My mum always said that about the kids. My mum always said when I said, oh, I never want them to leave home. Mm-hmm. She just used to say to me, you know, one of the few things that my mother empathically ever has said to me. But <laughs> my mum would always say to me, you know, like, what you know the alternative if you've got healthy kids and they're, they're living a life like you are you're blessed and it's true yeah. it's true thank you so much it's uh it's been one of the uh, most interesting po- I've been sitting I've been sat here literally I've stood much but I've listened it's been wonderful sorry yeah. I no, up it's been absolutely <laughs> wonderful it's just been mesmerised just listening and it's just yeah, yeah it's been so interesting I feel like we need to get Holly back for some more it's nice it's I think we, yeah, I feel some, like we've yeah. really kind of scratched the surface and we didn't really get to go on to talk about all of the live work stuff so just to say that Holly runs the Happy Me project she has downloadable resources that you can purchase from her website and actually brilliant and I will put links on this time. The put some links there. on I'll, I'll badger and put links yeah. on so yeah. we make sure that we do but yeah I do you know workshops this year in the UK but there is online stuff for people who yeah. are further workshops, afield and you can do those, yeah. you can do those anyway. I think maybe but, next time uh, Holly comes up we'll, we'll um, maybe do this podcast live yeah, and get it on Facebook. We'll do we'll do we'll do a Facebook live, but I think we can do a podcast live as well, yeah. which yeah. will go through to YouTube, Amazing. Facebook, cool. everything. Let's so, do it. So try yeah. to follow the links. Like I said, if you're not in the UK and you can't come to see Holly live at one of her particular workshops, please do download it. Practical advice, practical tips, practical solutions. Absolutely. And of course, if anything that you've been taught today, it's that there is always two ways to see life. You can see it through the negative aspect, you can see it through the positive aspect, and let's be honest. If my husband had died of brain cancer and I was a single mum bringing up two children and I was sounding like this, I know which one I'd choose. Take care.